Well, folks, we are really glad that you're watching this and uh, being a part of Friendship Church online. Uh, if you have been a part of our uh, church family, then you know uh, what we've been doing for the last several months. We actually put the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in chronological order. And we have been studying the life of Christ chronologically. Our, the goal is to not read the passages of Scripture, not just read the things that Jesus said and did in a vacuum. You know, they happened in a context. They happened in a literal place with people around them. He would use figures of speech that people around him would understand. And so our goal through this whole process has been to understand what Jesus Christ said and did in the context of where he was, uh, around whom he was with. And, and uh, so um, we are in a sermon series called In His Steps. We have uh, made it available for you to comment questions. Um, you can text questions to the phone number that we'll put in the comments box. Um, you can comment questions. And uh, later on this week, we'll upload a video of me responding to those questions. Now, ideally, the questions try to limit them to what uh, is relevant to the topic we're discussing today, the passage of Scripture that we're covering. Uh, but the phone number will be in the comments or you can just comment questions and we'll do our best to try to uh, send, uh, upload a video later on this week with those answers. Make sure to say hello in the comments. Let us know that you're worshiping with us. Let us know that you're watching. Um, make sure to share this video on Facebook. Um, share it on your social media. Share it with your friends and family that may be shut in and may not be able to worship uh, the Lord with, with their church family, or maybe they don't have a church family. Uh, so make sure that you share it. If you're new to Friendship Church, please uh, actually comment or click the connection card up in the top right corner, and it'll just ask you for three pieces of information, your name, email, and phone number, because we would like to get in touch with you. We would like to email you a free gift, just as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us online today. So make sure that you click the connection card in the top right corner so that you can stay connected with us. It'll open a new window so you don't have to worry about it messing up uh, you watching this message. If you have your Bibles or if you use your Bible app on your mobile device, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. And that is where we are in the passage of scripture that we're covering today. The title of the message today, it's actually part 12 of our uh, series, In His Steps, and part 12 is entitled Ambassadors for Christ. When I was in college, I needed to buy supplies for my dorm room. I needed to buy snack food. I needed to buy toiletries. Um, and so my parents put me as a signer on their checking account. I was out living outside the Dallas area. They were in Houston. And so they made me a signer on their account. We went to the bank and, and I signed the little card and, and I got to be a signer on their account. And then they actually had checks printed up with their names and my name on it so that I could write checks uh, buy groceries, etc. So uh, I wasn't making the money, but I got to spend the money. And there were definitely times when I was careless with that responsibility, where I had spent money on things that I probably shouldn't have. There was a CD I really wanted or wanted to take a, a, a young lady out on a date. And, and apparently my parents were paying for that. Um, but I, I had uh, access to everything that my parents had all that they earned, and I had their authority to spend it. So yeah, sure, I misused that uh, a couple of times and I got in trouble for it. But I could have walked into the bank and I could have conducted business on their behalf because they had made me an authorized representative. 
Well, that's exactly what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a person selected to represent someone else, whether it's a country, an organization, or just a family. And the passage we're looking at today is Luke chapter 10, when Jesus commissioned 72 ambassadors for him to go into nearby towns and proclaim the kingdom of God had arrived. Now, some manuscripts have 70 instead of 72, and it's not uncommon for some people to round up, round down. They're going to round to the nearest large number, and that's, that's not uncommon. Whether it was 70, whether it was 72, it's an insignificant detail, and don't worry about it. The message to them is the same message to us. As one commentator said, we are to be ambassadors for Christ, neighbors like Christ, and lovers of Christ. So let's look at the passage. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Now the chapter begins with the phrase, after this. So we always want to make sure that we take a quick look back at what just happened to understand the context when, which explains Jesus' actions and his statements. And last week, we covered the preceding passage. So if you uh, missed it, we encourage you to go back and, and after this is over, watch or go to the website, church website, and listen to part uh, 11. It's called, I Will Follow, But. Um, so you can go to church, the church website, friendshipchurch.cc, and go to sermons and find In His Steps, volume 3, I Will Follow, But. It's the, it's the last one. But that's what happened immediately before where we are now. Three men came up to Jesus and they made excuses for not following Jesus. So he appointed 72 disciples to go ahead of him and prepare the way for him. Then Jesus gave them four things to do as their assignment as an ambassador for Christ. The first thing he told them to do is pray before you go. Chapter 10, verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus is on the home stretch. He is making his way through these towns towards Jerusalem to eventually die on Passover, becoming the ultimate Passover lamb and the scapegoat that would bear the sins of the world. He sees the harvest of souls that was going to come. He knows the gospel will be revolutionary. He knows the gospel will be transformational. The only problem with the harvest is the lack of workers. If I were to say to you, when this video is over, I want you to go to five houses nearby and I want you to practice the art of evangelism. Would that strike fear in your heart? Would your blood pressure go through the roof? Would your palms start to sweat? Would you immediately think that you don't know enough of the Bible in order to do that? The reality is that none of us would be Christians if someone hadn't loved us enough to evangelize us. It might have been a Sunday school teacher, a youth pastor, a children's church worker, a parent, a grandparent, but somebody loved us enough to share the gospel with us and we need to love others that much as well. This is why in relation to the importance of Jesus, the professor and author C.S. Lewis wrote this. If the statements of Jesus are false, 
then Christianity is of no importance. If the statements of Jesus are true, then Christianity is of utmost importance. What it cannot be is moderately important. You see, Christianity is either true or it's untrue. It can't be both. If it's untrue, then evangelism doesn't matter. It would be pointless for Jesus to say, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all creation, if, if Christianity is false. But if it's true, evangelism and discipleship are the most important things we can engage in because that's exactly what Jesus said in verse 2. Be the workers and pray for more workers to enter the harvest. Second, Jesus told them to travel fast and light. Uh, let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 3 through 7. It says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. It's almost as if Jesus is writing this during or saying this during the quarantine type event like we're dealing with. He's telling them, I'm sending you on a short term missions trip as lambs among wolves. So we're not gaining converts by force, but 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 by the preaching of the good news. He says, don't worry about money. Don't hoard extra supplies that you don't need. Don't take an extra pair of shoes with you because you're not going to need them. But also don't let the enemy trick you into delaying your journey by being caught up in conversation that's not going to bear fruit for the mission that I'm sending you on. Now, in the previous passage, as I mentioned before, three would-be disciples are compared. They come up to Jesus. They have a conversation with Jesus and they give excuses as to why they cannot immediately follow Jesus Christ. And those three excuses are the same that Elisha used before he became Elijah's disciple. I'm a man of wealth. He had 12, 12 yoke of oxen. Um, he was plowing his family's field. And um, he needed to take care of his family obligations. So he was a man of wealth. His calendar was busy and he had family obligations to attend to. Those are the three excuses that Elisha gave as far as not immediately leaving everything and following Elijah. Here in this passage, Jesus makes a direct reference to something that Elisha said. Elisha had prophesied that a barren woman who had been audaciously generous to him in his time of need would bear a son. She does, and the child grows. In 2 Kings chapter 4, this son dies suddenly, and word gets back to Elisha that her son is dead. Elisha sent his servant ahead of him to her house and told his servant, don't greet anyone along the road and don't return a greeting if anyone greets you. Now, that's a rude thing to do in this culture, not to greet each other, but greetings were long and time-consuming. The point was there was something much more important than keeping to a custom. The miracle couldn't wait for the manners. And Jesus was referring to this when he told his disciples the same thing. The gospel cannot wait. It takes top priority. 
Now, sometimes people read this passage of scripture, verses three through seven, about don't take knapsack, don't take money, don't take uh, extra shoes. And they interpret these statements to be the way that all of Jesus' disciples should live. A nomadic life, traveling from house to house, eating other people's food, and practically living like a Christian beggar. But later on in this chapter, and we'll see this, the 72 disciples return. And they give a report of what has happened on their missions trip. So I don't believe that Christ is calling us all to that way of living. He was telling them to do these specific things because he didn't want them worrying about provision. He wanted them to depend on God for that. And God would provide. But notice that the sign of their acceptance of the gospel was the hospitality of the home. We can learn a lot from this. You might not have the gift of hospitality, but we must always remember Jesus' words in Matthew 25. He said to his disciples that the king would separate the sheep from the goats, the righteous from the unrighteous. He would put the goats on the left and the sheep on the right. And then in Matthew 25, Jesus said, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, the righteous, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Hospitality isn't about serving the person. It's about serving Christ. And the world will know that we are his disciples by the love we have and the love we show one another, especially in times and days like these. Third, Jesus told them to heal the sick and preach the gospel. Jesus said in Luke 10, 8-9, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. There will always be people that will reject our message because they've bought into the lies and the deception of the enemy or the pride in their own heart. But for the people that did accept the message these disciples brought, Christ enabled them to perform miracles and minister to the people. The miracles were the proof that God was with them so that they would listen to the message they proclaimed. The miracles weren't the message. They just validated the call on the messengers. So if we're not seeing miracles when we pray, we need to make sure that we're living in line with God's word and proclaiming his kingdom instead of trying to build our own. Fourth, Jesus told them to reject those towns that reject Christ. Reject those towns that reject Christ. Luke 10, 10 through 12, and then also in verse 16, it says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we will wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. He said to his disciples, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. 
And then verse 16, the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This is what being an ambassador is all about. When I tell my son Micah to pass on a message to my son Joshua and Joshua rejects the message, he's not rejecting Micah, the messenger, he's rejecting me. When I speak God's word to someone, it has nothing to do with me. It's all about their acceptance of the truth of God's word. And when they accept it, that's great. But when they reject it, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting Christ. And when they reject the truth about Christ, they're really rejecting the idea of being reconciled with God. That means pride, arrogance, selfishness, deception have all crept into their heart. They either don't understand their need for salvation or they understand it and just reject it. Oswald J. Smith said, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice where the, while there remains someone who has not heard it once. And this seems to be what Jesus was communicating as well. When people reject the message, move on. There are others who still have yet to hear and have an opportunity to accept the Christ. Now, we certainly pray for those people who reject it. The Holy Spirit can still work on those people and, and use the seeds that we've planted uh, to one day bear fruit in their life of salvation. But move on to others in the effort to disciple willing and receptive hearts. Because the success of the mission is not up to us. Our job is just to be faithful messengers and to leave the results up to him. Luke 10, 1 through 16, were all about the job given to the 72 by Jesus. Verses 17 through 24 are all about the joy felt by the 72 and by Jesus. Let's look at verse 17. It says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Only God had the power and authority over demonic spirits. The fact that the demons obeyed these 72 disciples provided ample evidence that Jesus was God because he's the one that gave them the authority. And then in verses 18 through 20, Jesus replied to their joy by saying this, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Once again, Jesus revealed to his disciples that he was in fact God. He was in heaven to see Satan's expulsion from heaven prior to the creation of Adam and Eve. Jesus was the ever existent I am. And then he pivots to remind them that they have God-given authority and protection. Nothing can hurt us. Now, this is a little difficult to understand because some missionaries have been martyred by the people they're trying to reach. We know that bad things happen to godly people. So what are we to make of Jesus's statement here that nothing can hurt you? I interpret the statement in light of other statements that Jesus made. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and die daily and follow him. 
If we die to ourselves daily, nothing can hurt us. Even if we die in service to God, we gain the ultimate experience of eternity with God. And when we live in accordance with God's will, nothing can come into our lives unless God allows it. And if it hurts us, we remind ourselves that we die daily, so we're already dead. Then Jesus reminded the disciples that the joy they have isn't because demons respond to their authority that Jesus entrusted them with. The Christian experience is not about walking around rebuking everything. Rather, their joy and our joy should be that God sees us, that God loves us, and that he knows us and has redeemed us. Our joy isn't about the demons we cast out, but rather the Father that has brought us near. We don't rejoice because of the fruit of our work. We rejoice in our relationship with our Father. If that relationship is maintained well, it will naturally produce fruit. Jesus finished this passage by saying in Luke 10, verses 23 through 24, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. What an amazing statement. Who is Jesus talking to? Fishermen, hated tax collectors, former prostitutes, former lepers, former paralytics and beggars, former demon-possessed people. These were the people at the lowest rung of society, people hated by the religious leaders of their day. And yet it was not to the religious elite that Jesus revealed himself. It was to them, the outcasts, the not good enoughs, the throwaways of their society. Being with Jesus, the Messiah, was something that prophets and kings longed to see in their day. And yet when the day came, Jesus spent his time with the hurting, the broken and the marginalized of his culture. May we remember this and follow Jesus' example. There's no one that's too far gone. There's no one that is worthless to God, regardless of what they've done or even what they're presently doing. The gospel can transform even the worst of sinners because it did so when it transformed me. So what does this mean for us? It means that as Christ sent out the 72, I am sending you out as ambassadors for Christ on a short-term missions trip to your neighborhood. If you're healthy and able-bodied, start on your street, go to each house maintaining a safe distance and check on your neighbors. If they ask for a roll of toilet paper, give them two. If they ask for some food, feed them for a whole day. If they're hurting and afraid, pray with them for God's comfort and peace. If they're sick, pray for them to be healed. Next week, we're actually going to cover the very next passage in Luke chapter 10. That's a story to familiar to most people, whether they're in or out of church, the Good Samaritan. And it's a story that is very appropriate to what we're dealing with right now during this time of crisis. Church family, let's pray. 
God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to minister to our community. Lord, we pray for those that are sick. We pray that you would heal them, touch their bodies, raise them up from this bed of affliction. We pray that you would stop this plague in its tracks, that you would give wisdom to medical uh, uh, personnel, doctors and scientists and researchers. Lord, we pray for uh, vaccines to be uh, created and, and ways to stop this plague so that it never happens again. But Lord, beyond physical health, we know that people need spiritual health. So we pray for those people that are isolated. We pray for those people who are home alone and can't go out, can't leave, and they don't have any friends or family that can check on them or whatever. We pray, Lord, that you would comfort them and be near to them and, and encourage them at this time. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us, that we obviously take care of our families, but we'd also take care of our neighbors, that we would look in on them, we would check in on them, and and make sure that they're uh, taken care of, Lord. Our desire is to share love and grace and hope in this time of fear and uncertainty. And so Lord, help us be the church. Help the world know that we're your disciples by the love that we have for one another. We praise you, God, and we thank you for being with us, for protecting us, for providing for us, meeting our needs. And we pray as we are out and about safely and responsibly uh, that we would be salt and light. We would be an encouragement to those around us. Maybe the only interaction we may have is through text message, phone calls or social media. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us, you know, maybe uh, bring somebody to our attention that needs ministry, that needs help, um, that we need to check on and call or text or, or communicate with to encourage them. So Lord, we thank you for being with us during this time. We thank you that we can have peace in the midst of storm. Uh, so we pray, Lord, that this uh, upheaval that we're dealing with right now uh, would be over soon. We pray for those people that are unemployed and that you would minister to them and provide for them. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you. We pray that you have a wonderful week. You can reach out to our church office. We'll be available. We may not be at the location, may not be at the church office at all times, but we will have our email available. And so we will be checking that periodically. So if you have a need, if you know of someone in need, please communicate with us and let us know. But we love you. We pray that you have a blessed week. God bless you.